of that. So good morning. I hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving. Before I launch into what I really want to talk about this morning, I want to remind all of us that beginning this past week with Thanksgiving, through the coming birth of the baby, all the way through the new year, there are many amongst us who um, particularly struggle this time of year. Perhaps they're alone, lonely, struggling financially, emotionally, or spiritually, grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe they're in ill health or someone they love is in ill health. Or maybe just the busyness and over-the-top nature of Christmas in this country is simply too much for them. Or maybe the violence and acrimony of the world right now is, is wearing them down. Remember that not everyone thrives during the holidays. So be kind and gentle. Offer a hand to hold or an ear to listen. And be there for one another. I follow a young Native American woman named Caitlin Kurt Curtis. And she sent these words out yesterday and they seemed appropriate. So I wanted to share them with you. It's important to hold space for grief during the holidays. For those who have lost loved ones, it's a time to manage the joy and the pain, to lean into nostalgia while also dealing with reality. Take time for grief. Mourn for a world that is hurting and broken, where war and genocide still exist. Light a candle daily, noticing the grief and the gratitude that often coincide. Those words sort of are a bridge for me between, between that thought of being there for one another and the real focus of today. And so we begin. Today is the last day of the um, liturgical year in the Christian church. Next Sunday is New Year's Day, Advent. This last Sunday is always Christ the King Sunday, and if you all have been here for a few years, you might remember, probably not, but I somehow always get scheduled to preach on Christ the King Sunday. And I said earlier, I think it's a coincidence, but I'm starting to think it might be some sort of a plot. And I look to Brian because he does our scheduling. And I laugh about that because I am not a fan of Christ the King Sunday, honestly. And so um, I believe, I, I struggle with the language and the imagery of Christ the King. And the past two years, I've talked about, in one form or another, talked about how this language conflicts with my own image of who Jesus was and is. The language of Christ the King sounds heavy-handed, hierarchical, and definitely patriarchal. The words king conjures images of wealth and power, privilege and oppression, language that is born out of a pretty brutal system of governance that's incongruent with God's realm. And with this language come crazy depictions of God, of Jesus wearing a gold crown and lush robes, which we all know that Jesus wore a crown of thorns that dug into his head blood dripping down his face as his, his clothes were torn from his body. 
the only way that Christ the King makes sense for me is if it's meant ironically, but it isn't. Christ the King Sunday is a relatively new addition to the liturgical year. I think it was the last sort of feast day that was added to the liturgical calendar in 1925, not that very long ago, by Pope Pius XI. Now, prior to Pope Pius was Pope Benedict XV. He became Pope one month into World War I. That's a challenge, right? In his first encyclical, he wrote... Whoa, sorry. <laughs> that just fell. Um, <laughs> we're having all sorts of technical difficulties today. Um, in just so, he started, he came into office one month after the beginning of World War II, and in his first encyclical, wrote these words. There is no limit to the measure of ruin and of slaughter. Day by day, the earth is drenched with newly shed blood and is covered with the bodies of the wounded and the slain. Those words are haunting, visceral, bringing forth a powerful image of carnage and destruction. There's probably not a time in the history of the world that those words couldn't have been spoken. And while today we're not in a world war, those words reflect, reflect the reality for the people in Gaza and Israel and Ukraine. And then more than 30 civil wars, terrorist insurgencies, ethnic conflicts and invasions happening in the world as we speak right now. The words resonate today as they ever have. Pope Benedict worked tirelessly to broker peace and was brokenhearted when he couldn't, believing it was the great failure of his life. He served only eight years, then was followed by Pope Pius in 1922, just four years after the end of World War I. But fighting hadn't really ended, had it? The spread of political ideas inspired by the Russian Revolution were pitting communist ideology against anti-communist ideology. And there was a rise of authoritarianism and fascism across Europe and beyond. And Pope Pius was concerned that Christ's authority was diminishing in the world. And he wanted to refocus people's lives back on Jesus. In his 1925 encyclical, he wrote, Manifold evils in the world were due to the fact that the majority of men had thrust Jesus Christ and his holy laws out of their lives. And that as long as individuals and states refused to submit to the rule of our Savior, there would be no really hopeful prospect of a lasting peace among nations. And the Christ the King Sunday was born. I understand the point, and I agree that we are too focused on the power and personal gain of this world and not focused enough, sometimes not at all, on the path that Jesus set us on. And while I don't love the language or the imagery of Christ the King, I embrace the spirit and intention of this day, which is peace. A recognition that Jesus calls us to love and to be brokers of peace. We stand up here week after week and preach about God's love 
and Christ's commission to each of us to spread that love in the world. We are love spreaders, but we're also called to be peacemakers. So we developed this liturgy today as an offering to you, as a reminder. As a reminder to each of us of God's call to peace and that there is hope while also reminding us of the heartache and the pain of war and of our work in the world as peacemakers. The word for peace in the Old Testament is one we're all familiar with, shalom. And this word means more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom means that something is complete and lacks nothing. As a verb, it means to restore to wholeness. In the New Testament, the Greek word is irene. Not exactly the same, but pretty similar and used fairly interchangeably. Irene sometimes suggests peaceful contact towards one another. But like shalom, it is more all-encompassing, including a broad vision of human searching, of wholeness. The biblical story at its most fundamental is about our brokenness and disconnection from God and God's continual invitation to shalom, to wholeness in relationship with God. Jesus comes into the world to show us the way to fulfill the promise of God. He comes to fit broken pieces and broken people together to restore the brokenness of the world to help us find the wholeness, that peace, that shalom within ourselves, with one another, and with God. Paul says many times and in many ways that Jesus himself is peace. Jesus brings peace within us and brings peace between us. And the church, both as an institution and all of us as individuals and together, the church is to be both the place of shalom, as in the place where shalom reigns and the vehicle of shalom, or the means by which shalom is extended into the world. We haven't always done a great job with this work as a church. I think of the, the Crusades or the doctrine of discovery. The church has dirty hands in this as well. Jesus calls us into this work with him. The good news is that Paul gives us instruction, as he is wont to do, on how to do this work, as he writes in the chapter of Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, Forgive each other. Just as you have been forgiven, so you must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiveness, and love. We do this within the community of faith with a knowledge of the peace of Christ dwelling within us. This is the dream and the promise, God's dream for the world, beloved community, 
not just here, but everywhere. I know it's a, it feels impossible. It feels hopeless. And I, we have been waiting a very, very long time. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah shared his vision of lions lying down with lambs and humans beating their swords into plowshares and no longer waging war. And yet we wait. 2,000 years ago, John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, and the angels over Bethlehem delivered the birth announcement of a baby who would bring peace on earth. And yet we wait. Each Advent, we light a candle for peace, hoping beyond hope that God's dream for us is possible, even as bombs are still dropping on Ukraine and Gaza, and young Americans are still dying from senseless gun violence, and more than 526,000 people die each and every year because of violence associated with armed conflicts and large and small-scale criminality. And yet we wait. But Jesus didn't exhort us to wait patiently, but rather to act, to be co-creators of God's dream, of beloved community. We are called to action, to bring resources and love and care to Ukrainian refugees in Poland, to offer kindness and humor and education to children in the Dominican Republic, to bring medical supplies and training to the people of Nicaragua, to offer spiritual and physical solace and friendship to the people of Cuba, to fight for equity and affordable housing, to build affordable housing, to gather personal toiletries and hang warm jackets from trees right here in Jackson, to treat all of life on this earth with respect and dignity across the globe, to offer story, poem, to pray and pray and pray. We're not helpless, but each in our own way capable and integral to the love-spreading and peacemaking work to which God called us, to the creation of God's dream and promise of beloved community. I want to leave you with a prayer, and I'm going to ask that we sit in silence for a bit longer than we usually do following the sermon Spend a moment contemplating these words and the role that we each play in the co-creation of beloved community of God's dream for the world. Let us pray. Holy God of all people and of all creation, touch our troubled hearts with your spirit of holy peace. Remind us again that we are not called to passively wait for peace to miraculously appear. Human nature is too flawed for that to happen. We are not called to be peacekeepers who want only a lack of conflict and preservation of the status quo. Instead, you call us to be peacemakers, co-creators of a just and loving world order. Show us the way, Heavenly Parent, to make peace wherever you have planted us. Let the peaceful ways of Jesus be our guide. Help us let go of the things we cannot change so we can be your agents of peace in places where we can make a difference. May we act as we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.